guess what? It's another episode of Alice Lives, a conspiracy theory podcast. It's like you didn't know that already, even though you clicked on the play button. Thanks for doing that, by the way. It's me, KB. I am joined by Julie. Oh, hey! You did it. You made it to episode four of the night recordings. Here we are, the final one. I'm still getting over the last one. Uh, so that's going to be If you time. haven't heard that, go listen to episode 32. Cleanell was with you. As something. <laughs> that is entirely untrue. But then we talked about it in the break and now I'm not so sure. And I'm just, oh, I don't know how to feel. But why not take down some big pharmaceutical companies today instead? Shall we? Shall we? Let me give you a brief history of... Well, particularly American pharmaceutical industry, but we'll try and do it. I was wondering what you are going to give me the history of just then. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm I'm on for the ride. Um, Often known, well, the bigger company, like, as a whole, the big pharmaceutical companies are referred to as Big Pharma. Big Pharma! Like a big Pharma, but not. Oh, I could go a Big Pharma. No, I'm actually quite full. (laughs) Anyway, as we know, like... And the pharmaceuticals kind of started off with like apothecaries and stuff in the Middle Ages, but the pharmace- the pharmacies and the pharmaceutical industry that we know today um, really happened in the late 18th century. Like that's when it started being established and it married the two concepts um, of like the production of goods and the experimentation in in. Right, so both sides of pharmacy. Yeah. Merck in Germany is thought to be the earliest one to kind of move in this direction. Um, It was founded in 1668, um, but it was in 1827 that Heinrich Emanuel Merck began the transition towards um, manufacturing and selling alkaloids. What now? Alkaloids? Alkaloids. Alkaloids. Nothing like an altoid, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so 1827 is when we start kind of seeing that. Uh, similarly, at the same time, even though GlaxoSmithKline's... Um, oh! Yeah. GSK. Yeah. There are, they can be, like, tracked back to 1715. Um, but if I would have said, holy a lot of these companies have been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, it was only uh, from 1842 when they started producing patented medicine. Mm. And they were the first factory in 1859 to be producing only medication. Cool. Still a long way away, cool, but they've cool, yeah. been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. They know what they're doing. Um, well, in America, Pfizer oh, yeah, yeah. was founded in 1849. Hey. I'm like all about this. Yeah. I used to work in pharmacy. Yeah, I know. Why aren't you doing this episode? I don't know. <laughs> um, it was founded by two German immigrants um, who were in the fine chemicals business originally. Um, they expanded quite quickly during the American Civil War when the need for painkillers and antiseptics kind of went through the roof a bit. <laughs> you know? You know? You know? Um... So, while Pfizer was was uh, handing out medicines to that were needed for the war effort, uh, a young cavalry commander named Colonel Eli Lilly. Oh, I was really hoping you'd say mustard or Sanders. <laughs> 
Um, he was a pharmaceutical chemist. A pharmaceutical chemist. Um, so he started to also experiment and eventually set up his own business in 1876. Um, so we've got another person. There's a lot of people involved. There's going to be a few. Industry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he wasn't the only uh, guy in the military to do mm-hmm. this. Another guy called Edward Robinson Squibb. Uh, he was a naval doctor during the Mexican-American War, uh, which happened from 1846 to 1848. Um, when he was given drugs, he threw them overboard because they weren't good enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so he decided he would set up a lab in 1858 and um, start supplying also to the Union armies during the Civil War. Good man. Um, so... This wasn't just happening in... America, it was also happening in Switzerland. There were a couple of things. Where am I? Um, in the second half of the 19th century, um, what started happening though is that uh, it was just kind of all they started, it wasn't just pharmaceutical chemicals they were dealing with, it was also all of the other now illegal, illicit things too though so let's keep that in mind like meth maybe i don't know meth isn't specifically mentioned heroin is i feel like like it you don't just think to make meth no so it probably was a pharmaceutical made (laughs) substance before it was a backyard gig true um bayer we're back to bayer they were founded in 1863 they started out as a dye maker, but they later moved into medicines, which was what was happening in Switzerland as well. Um, and they commercialised aspirin at the turn of the 20th century, um, which for them was a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. All the medications that had come before them, this was like I really the wish best I had painted aspirin. <laughs> um, so... Again, there was like a bit of a less strict delineation between pharmaceutical and chemical. So as much as companies focused, I'm just going to read this word for word. These companies focused as much on cod liver oil, toothpaste, citric acid for soft drinks and hair gel as on prescription medications, as well as selling products like heroin on the over the counter market. Not me. Now we can't even get codeine over the counter. No. You have to like taking your license you got to have like a prescription, prescription. you got to like it's a big deal now. it's a big deal whereas that you said cocaine and coke so yeah can i get a prescription for heroin no uh, no i'm sure if you I... tried it you would definitely find out the answer i'm gonna think the answer is no <laughs> excuse me mr doctor sir may i please have a note <laughs> um so once upon a time upon a time so uh... Bayer had the aspirin trademark set um but it had its u.s assets seized during world war one this wasn't the only company that this happened to a lot of companies um were kind of split off from their parent company so merck the american one was split off from its german counterpart (laughs) um there's a lot of german um pharmaceutical manufacturing yeah i think there was a lot more experimentation happening in (laughs) germany at the time um Bayer had its subs- uh, Russian subsidiary seized. Um, 
and but also at the same time it became more a globalization as well as in the early um 20th century so we were seeing like branches of these big companies including Eli Lilly and MSD like we had mentioned before um, going into the UK after the war so okay. while they were seized during the war they then became a bit more global after the war I need some pharmaceuticals right this for a second <laughs> right I got to sniffles I keep, sorry guys I keep sniffing and then also yawning which you can't see but <laughs> poor KB has to look at me uh, while I just yeah. yawn straight in her face I mean, it's still a merry I'm not bored I'm just sniffling. <laughs> um, so two things happened between the wars. So between 1918 and 1939, the pharmaceutical industry came out with insulin, which was created by Frederick Bantine. Um, they were trying to isolate insulin uh, insulin to treat diabetes, um, which up until that point Crushed people were dying it. from, which is crazy. <laughs> They did a great job. They did a great job. Um, but they did this, they figured it out by collaborating with Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, so that they could just, like, get the ex- extract and then produce it um, more in a mass kind of way. Um, the second uh, in between the wars was penicillin. So insulin and penicillin between the wars would have been super helpful. Um, in- yeah. I mean, not for some people. Penicillin is a I'm lot. allergic to penicillin. Yeah, you're allergic to penicillin. My sister's allergic to penicillin. Yeah. So um, that was discovered by Alexander Fleming initially um, in 1928. Uh, then Howard Florey and Ernst Chain furthered the experimentation um, in this experimentation, the government supported some collaboration with Merck, Pfizer, and Squibb, and then they mass-produced it during World War II. Um, they... What am I reading? I don't know, love. I don't know. It just started marking... It just marked a new era, I think, in pharmaceutical experimentation and seeing how far they could go and what they could treat. Push, push the envelope. Pushing the envelope. Um... Post-war, uh, lots of health systems were set up. So the UK has, like, the NHS. Um, I don't know what... Like, Medicare, I guess, is our equivalent. It's ours. America has nothing. nothing. <laughs> um, so what we started seeing is price-fixing and affordable... Um, Thanks, guys! Like, new, like investing in new medications, but also trying to make it affordable for people to be able to access them. Any histamine should just be free. Just saying. <laughs> um, but the U.S. pharmaceutical industry in particular started to skyrocket. Um, they are a huge economy, so it's uh, only natural for that to happen. Um, but it was also helped greatly by government funding. They, I'm just going to read this quote straight out too. The National Institutes of Health seen its federal funding rise to nearly $100 million by 1956. Now, $100 million in 1956 is a crap ton of money. Yeah, that's like billion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. Um, so that particular money obviously fueled the, um, the creation and the establishment of many drugs over the last few years. Um, Merck, George Merck addressed the question of like how ethical like is there any ethical conflicts in that the fact that you are getting so many like it's so much 
there is so much government funding and so much money being poured in this industry is that ethical mm. he said we try never to forget that medicine is for the people it is not for the profits the profits follow and if we have remembered that they have never failed to appear the better we remember it the larger they have been this was in 1950 so essentially he's saying as long as we keep the people at the forefront the money will come gotta keep the people gotta keep the people at the forefront gotta um, keep the people too and keep the people that's true um yeah, so there's been, like, a few extra developments of, like, when things went the other way of the FDA has uh, banned, like, thalidomy. What is it? Thalidomide. 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 Yeah, that was really bad. Really bad. Not good. And there's, like, other... D. Prescriptions. Thalidomide really fucked shit up. Yeah. Namely women. Yeah, but on the on the flip side, things like contraception and all that kind of stuff. Mm, I do like my pill. Yeah, it's tasty. So look, there are definitely some questions. There's a lot of information out there about the history of the. <laughs> so I'm feeling right in Katie's face again. <laughs> of the um, pharmaceutical industry, a lot of Nobel Peace Prizes have come out of yeah. Nobel prizes not necessarily peace prizes have come out of it um but there's a difference and all that but there's a i'm pretty sure there's a difference continue i could be wrong i've been wrong a nobel prize a nobel peace Peace prize oh yeah 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 Yeah. um have like advanced lots of different types of treatments like Mm -hmm. iatric um even just like ulcers like everything has shifted but there is one particular area julie's still yawning uh, I'm so uh, tired. we're almost there julie we're almost there um there is one particular side of the, the medical world that people are thinking that maybe the pharmaceuticals know more than they're uh, they're telling us Actually, some people believe that the big pharma is holding out on the cure for cancer. The, I can't. Yeah, and not just um, not just the big pharma, but also the fact that um, government health agencies and cancer charities might also be in on in on it. What, for what money? At the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, cancer research is one of the highest funded uh, publicly, uh, like, um, government-wide people God, on the street. God, if this is a thing, I really hope that they're channeling those funds into just lesser-known causes. Look, I'm going to read you <laughs> no. this particular article. I th- no, no, I think you're... I think, I think it'll be right. Um... It's from uh, HowStuffWorks.com. It says, A cure for cancer exists, but pharmaceutical companies... Oh, no, let's... I'll start from the beginning of the sentence, because context. You've probably heard this conspiracy theory before, maybe from your uncle who still has his doubts about the Apollo 11 moon landing, or on a Reddit thread exposing the evils of Big Pharma. It goes like this. 
A cure for cancer exists, but pharmaceutical companies and perhaps even government health agencies and cancer charities are suppressing it because they make so much money from treating the disease or fundraising for it. In other words, a secret cab cabal, cabal of pharma execs, scientific researchers and cancer non-for-profits are letting more than 8 million people die each year worldwide so that they can line their pockets with cancer money. Such a plot, if true, would be nothing short of medical genocide. Um, 8 million people worldwide. Yeah, every year. Yeah, that's not as many as I thought it would be. It's still a heck of a lot. And I think because there are so many different types of cancer too, we can't just be like, there's a cure for cancer. The end. I think... Yes. There are definitely Leukemia ways... Leukemia. Yeah. Or, yeah, I get what you mean. There are definitely ways of treating certain cancers at the moment that are quite effective, not always completely, totally, 100% guaranteed, but to say there's, like, a cure for cancer... Yeah. It would be... Bit like, rough. I have the cure for what's... Or something also really broad. I don't know. Uh, anything that happens to your nasal passages... <laughs> have the cure for all of it yeah oh yes so common it's cold one cure done oh by the, the way. flu no don't even worry about it. it's the cold and the flu they're the same thing <laughs> you just made me twitch I with hate. but it's um, kind of that kind of thing so they actually i saw this on the news yesterday mm. because uh I wasn't watching the news, but it was on in the background <laughs> um they they've come up with a nasal spray for the common cold and I was like, okay, but that's like a few different things. Yeah. Like, anyway. That's the thing. And like, I mean, it would be bloody awful if they did know how to kind of eradicate cancer to an extent and they are sitting on it because they're making a bunch of money. Um, I mean, it's not like, the first time I've heard this conspiracy theory either. I'd be pretty mad about it i would be I, furious i've had a touch of cancer as yeah. someone who's had a touch of cancer i'd be mad about it yeah it's yeah well the australian cancer council have this to say oh no the conspiracy theory that the medical industry is hiding a cure for cancer from the public has been around for many years logical arguments against this myth include the fact that many people in the scientific and medical industry, such as researchers, nurses, and doctors, along with their families and friends, die of cancer at similar rates as everyone else in the population. Oh, yeah, like that. Oh, you keep Googling. You keep reading. There's a, there's a guy that was a brain surgeon in um, Melbourne, I think, or yeah. Sydney, who died of yeah. brain cancer. Additionally, new cancer prevention and treatment methods are introduced into everyday healthcare on a regular basis. A good example of this is the recently discovered vaccine to prevent infection by the two main strains of human papilloma. It's what papilloma I have. It's virus. human papillomavirus. Uh, also, you guys suck. <laughs> that are known to cause the majority of cervical cancers. Um, it goes on to say that 120,000 new cases of cancer will be diagnosed uh, in Australia in 2013. So this is obviously not very up to date. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. They might want to revise that whole Gardasil vaccine that they've put in there now. Yeah. Um, most of them apparently will be treated successfully. Finding one cure is unlikely because there are 200 different types of cancer. Um, and each cancer has its own uh, genetic faults. So they have to try and figure all that 
kind of about the survival rate for many common cancers has increased by more than 30 percent in the last two decades um but that's kind of all they say they don't say that it's possible they don't say that they're working on it they don't know so the one they have now so the the gardasil vaccine which um protects against two strains of hpv mm-hmm. is actually only 80 percent effective mm. so i fall within that 20 percent where it was just <laughs> just three needles for the sake of getting three needles Yay. yeah um it's so i'm wondering like if you're going to bring out more vaccines like what is the i guess foolproof rate like you'll never if they're saying they're cured you know uh yeah what I is know. cure what is a cure rate um by the way the brain surgeon i was talking about is dr chris o'brien he is um was diagnosed with a highly malignant brain tumor in november 2006 um he also has a book called Never Say Die, which I think is on the shelf sitting next to me somewhere. Ah. Um, but he, yeah, really, really, there it is. There it's it is. between Lost for Words and the other one, Near the Thermometer. Oh, yeah. I'm pointing it out to Katie. I see it, I see it. Um, Near the Thermometer. It's, it's devastating because he was a, a, yeah. a, a brain surgeon that dealt with mostly brain cancer and then got it. Like, yeah. I mean, fuck you can't really prevent this. It life yeah it's not that common though it's not that common look the guy who kind of started it all is a guy called ted gansler who uh is the strategic director or was at the time of this article being written um for pathology research with the american cancer society um, and he serves as an editor for the Cancel Journal for Coalition. Co- clinicians. Oh, my goodness. It's getting late, guys. And my speech is going to be like... Uh, <laughs> like, is already. He heard the hidden cure story so many times that he actually went out and conducted a survey. This is back in 2002. Um, okay, he didn't start at all. He's trying to, like, debunk it. Um, he asked almost a 1,000 Americans if they believed that people were hiding the cure for cancer. Um, And 27.3% believed the myth. Um, That's a tiny percentage of 1,000 people. But with 14.3 being uncertain. So still about, what's that? 41%, 41 41.5%. Yeah. Uh, not sure. Like, that's still pretty big in terms of, like, you would hope that it would be, like, 90% no, they're not hiding the cure of cancer for cure cancer. Wouldn't you? Like, if you're doing mm. a survey like that? I feel like any survey we do now with <laughs> any number of people is all invalid. It doesn't matter. Um, it's a pretty big conspiracy theory, but a lot of people, I guess, like, I don't really know pharmaceutical industry i don't know medical industry i'm like hoping that they're doing right by us you know because i don't know anything about it i don't know i couldn't tell you what cancer is made up of i couldn't tell you how to treat it i couldn't tell you anything so i think a lot of people you can tell me how to treat it kv (laughs) you've got an idea (laughs) um but i think because it's such a scary thing that people go through either either themselves or family or friends or whatever um i would hope that if they've figured it out and to be quite honest i would believe that they had figured it out if they were like guess what we found the cure for like 
200 different types of cancers. I'd be like, amazing, I believe you. You're being like poured money and scientific research is like booming because of it. I just hope that they haven't already figured it out and are not telling it. Yeah, my, my worry is how have they not? It's not how something they they've not? not been working on. No. I, I really, I'd be so interested to speak to someone that actually does this as yeah. their living and looks into research for cancer. Um, it, it's I just like need to be educated, of, I guess. A lot. I think it's a lot of pressure. To, like, you want to get that right. You reckon? Yeah. Um, I mean, no. Too morbid. Um, look, I want to, I believe in the good of humanity. And so I'm going to say that I don't believe this conspiracy theory to be true. Because I, I do hope that even if they're making millions of dollars a year um, in fundraising and uh, funding, that they would, they, that, that, that they just would, they would provide it if it was there. I'm really on the fence. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, tell us what you think. Yeah. Please. You can do that via our Facebook page at Elvis Lives Podcast, or you can email us via Elvis Lives Podcast at gmail.com, or you can rate, review, subscribe us on Apple. You can rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher of choice. If you're listening to us via Spotify, then it works a little bit differently. How about you just like click the first episode, let it just scroll on through, listen to us while you're, I don't know, driving, falling asleep, at work, you know, wherever your happy place is and where your not happy place is, and we will be there with you every step along We will hold your hand. Yeah. Kind of. Um, <laughs> we will hold your ears. Yeah. We will give you oral pleasure. Okay, on that <laughs> note, we're going to go now. We will see you uh, next time, hopefully, with a daytime recording. Oh, Christine. Okay, you don't need to listen to the nonsense. Thanks for bearing with us, guys. Um, bye. Bye.